We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, still drowning my sorrows uh, from the Ryder Cup loss that was the domination by Europe. Kyle Poor, I think, has been napping ever since Sunday. Uh, Kyle, you you rejuvenated a little bit my, from the Ryder Cup coverage? My body is is uh, is lagging. I think my body's still on on Paris time. My voice is sort of back. I, I'm I'm a mess. Uh, <laughs> which which coop did you drown your United States sorrows in on on Sunday afternoon? Oh DNR, just do not resuscitate <laughs> me. I don't. I I think like they they beat my enthusiasm for the Ryder Cup out of me. I don't even care about the Ryder Cup anymore. That's how bad the performance was. Now I'll, I'll come around in two years probably, but as of now, like my motivation. I was talking to you before we started rolling on this, but. My, vote, my motivation to get up was just at an all-time high on, on uh, Friday, and the commercials put me to bed. The, the coverage was so bad, and then they get dusted in the afternoon, and my, my motivation each day got less and less to stay up and watch. Yeah, so you were not around for the uh, – or you probably were around because it happened so late, but Oklahoma, former Oklahoma State golfer Alex Noren uh, just just finally twisted the knife on Sunday morning, hit like a 55-footer. <laughs> And uh, the best part of that was that the guy he was playing against, Bryson DeChambeau, literally was holding a white flag as it happened and uh, <laughs> and walked it back to the cup to put it in. But pretty cool for Alex Noren to get to. Uh, he didn't hit the winner. They had already clinched it like six hours earlier or three days earlier, I guess. Uh, but he did get to kind of put a bow on the 2018 Ryder Cup. Yeah, I, I went and played golf instead of watching the singles. Probably, I was over it. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. Uh, what you did watch, though, uh, was Oklahoma State, Kansas. Oklahoma State wins 48-28. Uh, it, it seemed like what, what we're going to do today, I, I didn't get to watch much of it. Or I, didn't, I, did, I did watch the, like, the last three minutes, uh, and uh, I didn't have any idea what was going on. But I wanted to kind of set this up since we didn't do a post-game show. I've got like three or four questions written down for you uh, th- that I want some uh, I want some answers to. So are you ready to do this? I want the truth. <laughs> My first question. Did Corndog, Taylor Cornelius, Corn Daddy, did he do anything on Saturday to move you any closer to being in his camp as the starting quarterback going forward um I, I i it's a tough question to answer the way i would answer that is i, I saw everything i wanted to see against kansas because let's face it kyle on last week's show we were like man that's a tough game they don't play well up there like i saw everything i wanted to see as far as commanding the offense but i will say osu took the ball out of his hands they only threw the ball 20 times and they finally put the ball in Justice's hands, which is what we need to see moving forward, obviously. And the notion that they cannot run block is really a myth when you have a running back like Justice Hill. He can, he got Kyle. There were times he was stopped behind the line of scrimmage and still gained five, six yards. It, it was incredible performance by him. But no, I, I think Cornelius had some really good throws, specifically the the fade route to Tyron. I think I think Cornelius has shown he can throw the fade route pretty well. He put one of those in the back corner that was excellent. But, man, he had several just severely underthrown or overthrown deep balls. There was one where Braden Johnson was didn't have anyone within 20 yards of him, and he puts it over his head, and then the very next play he found Tyron for a touchdown. But the deep ball is still very inconsistent. I mean, even the touchdown he threw to Landon Wolf was underthrown. So it's 
It wasn't on the money, but he he got the job done, Kyle. And I thought he it was probably his best game uh, as the starter. Other, you know, because he didn't have just those catastrophic interceptions that he had against Missouri State and uh, South Alabama. So no, I mean, he still has his flaws, but I thought it, I saw what I wanted to see. I'm not I'm not ready to say. I'll reserve judgment on being in his camp, as you put it, until he you know he beats Iowa State. It's a really good really good defense. Well, and th- this is the problem, right? Like again, I I didn't see the game. I don't watch it. What 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 does Scundies do? I, I don't read it. I don't read it. <laughs> I didn't watch it. But to me, there's this sort of <clears throat> and this is one of the things that I, I don't think Mason Rudolph ever got enough credit for. He performed like his ceiling might not have been as high as some other guys' ceilings, like Whedon or Baker or somebody like that. But his floor was so high. He just didn't have bad games. I mean, he, <clears throat> okay, he had one or two. He had some, you know, fumble issues against Texas. He, the point is you can remember his bad games because they stood out. And with Cornelius, I feel like what we've seen so far is a lot of inconsistency. You know, we'll see we'll see a couple good throws, maybe a, a really good game, and then the following game you're like, ah, I don't I don't know. Like, I, I'd – I want to see like a consistent trajectory of improvement. And I don't know that I've seen or, or heard that throughout the year. Yeah. But I will say he played well. Like, I don't want to no, I, say he didn't. I, I know, but think about like the last time people were saying that he played well, he followed that up with a stinker, you know? So it's like, I, I, I guess I just, yes. Like that's, that's a fair thing to say that he played well on can on Saturday against Kansas. I just don't know what I'm getting the next week. Of course not. That's that's been the story of the season. I mean, yeah. that's that's a huge concern still for the for the offense. But if you can run the ball like they did, Kyle Taylor doesn't, as you've been saying, doesn't have to be, you know, Whedon or Rudolph or any of the great quarterbacks in MSU's history. He only threw the ball twenty times, completed it 15, 15 times, like for three hundred yards and four touchdowns. With he did have one interception, but uh, his rating was by far his highest quarterback rating of the year. But again, it's Kansas. You don't want to get too carried away. Iowa State's defense is really good, so no, it was. I would put it as job done. That's yeah. that's that's what I would say about T- Taylor Cornelius. Because let's face it, Kyle, you and I were throwing out the scenario like, what if it's a close game at halftime? What if you know they struggle to throw the ball downfield? And he he didn't. He he completed the passes he needed to, and they won the game going away. So it was, it was uh, it, it would alleviate any pressure on Mike Gundy to, to pull him. It's obvious they're going to ride him for the rest of the season. Yeah. Uh, okay, question number two. I did see the box score. I saw that Justice Hill got over 30 carries. So my question for you is, based on what you saw on Saturday, how many carries a game do you think Justice Hill should be getting? I would say I think 31 is high. There were a couple times he took a shot and had to go over to the sideline. I think it was late. He went over to the sideline. They brought in J.D. King. Like when you get up to 31 carries, I think that's when he'll get a little beat up. So I would say 25 is, is a healthy number for me. And that doesn't include, you know, some catches out of the backfield too, where he can get out of bounds and not take a huge shot. But yeah. justice at one point also lowered his head against a guy on the sidelines. Like justice, just run out of bounds. Come yeah, on. Not good. <laughs> so, but no, I, I would put it at probably about 25, but look, it's, it's the strength of the team. He's their best player. They don't have an elite quarterback. I know Gundy claims they can't run block, but they, they do, they do enough. They do enough to block. Like it's not like it's just a jailbreak every time they hand the football off. Justice has some running lanes and he has good vision. And I thought several times they 
the offensive line did a good job to where it almost looked like a zone blocking scheme where they're not trying to just blow their guy up. They just kind of they kind of shift to the left a little and Justice runs along with them to the left. I, I kind of like some of that stuff where he can cut back upfield. So uh, I'm interested to hear Adam Lunt's podcast and see his breakdown of the offensive line because they, they played much better too, Kyle. The offensive line played a lot better. Yeah. Uh, I Again, didn't didn't see the OL, but uh, I did see a – does anybody say OL? Is that ever – is that a thing? I, first I've heard of it. Yeah, that's not good by me. <laughs> I'd, I've been watching too many like – uh, Tiger Woods press conference. You've been looking up too many official world golf rank, the OWGR <laughs> yeah. rankings. Yeah, Tiger. Tiger like shortens everything to like a nickname or like a, a you know initials. I've been I've been sub- submersed in too much of that. Uh, I did see a quote from or heard a quote from Gundy after the game talking about how like like he he almost acted surprised that they could run the ball, and and it's like well statistically this has been true all year and and maybe it. it, it it sounds like it looked a little different on Saturday than it has in other games. And again, maybe that's Kansas, but you know, Carson, I looked this up on Monday, Kansas came into that game. They were number 11 in the country in points per drive allowed on defense, their offense. Yeah, it sucks, but their defense this year. And in the, I know they haven't played anybody this year, but even in the past few years, it hasn't, it hasn't been that bad. Like they've had some guys on defense. They just can't score and they can't move the ball. And so it just creates situations and where, if you give up anything at all on defense, you get hammered. So I, I think it, it's not nothing that Oklahoma State was able to put up 48 in Lawrence on a what I think is a halfway decent Big 12 defense. Oh, yeah, for sure. We we all know Kansas' defense has gotten better and better. They had the Dorrance Armstrong guy go to the NFL, play with the Dallas Cowboys currently. Uh, it was also interesting, Kyle, the, re- the receivers really played well. I mean, Tylen Wallace made some just, again, ridiculous catches. There was an underthrown deep ball to him that he just went up and got. And uh, Landon Wolf, I thought, was kind of the story of the game, Kyle. He stepped up in Jalen McCleskey's spot, had over 100 yards and a touchdown, and played really well. He looked he looked really good. Uh, and then my boy Tyron only had three targets, but he had two touchdowns. It was uh, a bag performance, as he likes to say. <laughs> well, that, that was going to be my next question, is how much, based on what you saw on Saturday, how much – do you think Oklahoma state is going to miss Jalen McCluskey? And again, this is so hard because and we were even talking about this in Slack, like how much do you learn from a Kansas game? I, I don't know. Like it, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard to figure these things out week to week and especially against a team like Kansas. But we did see Wolf for the first time. And I'm just curious about how, how much you think OSU is going to miss Jalen based on what you saw on Saturday. Wolf played some in the earlier games, but uh, I still think they're going to miss him, Kyle, because they're just so thin at inside receiver. I mean, if they have an injury to Wolf, I mean, they're I don't even know who they put in there at that point. Maybe Braden Johnson, I'm not sure. But uh, Jalen McCluskey is a good football player. I know his numbers weren't that great this year, but I mean, the guy was sixth all time in receptions. He was very reliable. Remember that catch he had against Boise, where uh, Cornelius was on the run through that dart to the yeah. side. It was, a, it was a, as good of a catch as it was a throw. So, I mean, there's going to be some games where they miss him for sure. I, I don't think anyone can deny that. So it's, it's still a loss, but it, uh, good on Landon Wolf for stepping up. He really did. He played, he played excellent. And again, Tyron, again, I looked it up, Kyle. I don't think he has more than five catches in a single game in his career at OSU. <laughs> He might not have more than than five targets. That that was also on my list of questions. Is uh, has, has I don't really know how to phrase this, but has has Tyron 
been found or is he still missing? It, it feels difficult to tell, but based on Saturday, what, what are your thoughts? Well, again, he still only had three targets, but they at least, you know, got on the ball in a good position to score. I mean, he scored twice on three catches, but let's see here. He, he had five catches against South Alabama for 137 yards. That's the most, he hasn't had more than three receptions any other game this year. So he had three against Kansas. Let's go to 2017. Uh, the most he had was four catches. That was the OU game and the South Alabama game last year. So mm. he's still very underutilized. Again, he's the second most explosive player on the team behind Justice Hill in my in my mind. So they're going to have to, I think, and again, this is the first week without Jalen McCleskey. So I think they're going to have to start scheming him into the game plans to get him more looks because he's a, he's a weapon. And I think the loss of McCleskey gives him more opportunities on the inside. That was kind of the problem last year. Remember, he was behind James Washington on the roster in, in that specific position. Now he can kind of move more inside, I think, a lot more freely now that McCluskey's gone. So that, that's something to watch for. <clears throat> that's something that's on That's something that's on your switch and gunny to figure out how to utilize him now that they've lost Jalen. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I got two more for you. The first one will stay on the offensive side. Um, when you think about... Again, I saw stats, didn't see the game. Uh, I saw what Tylen posted, and it seemed impressive. When you think about Tylen Wallace and sort of the start he's had in Stillwater, what is your <clears throat> sort of like projection for him in terms of an like a like a career at Oklahoma State? Mm, I mean, he'll challenge for all the records if, if it keeps on this current pace. I mean, Blackman was there. He had two monster years, right? Yeah. Uh, he had, he had two like 1700 yard years, which is just a joke. I mean, he could have a Rashawn Woods like career. Yeah. Which is to say he could be one of the best receivers in school history. I mean, people forget how good Rashawn Woods. I sound like the old man. Now people forget how good Rashawn Woods was. <laughs> But Rashawn only had 300 yards his freshman year. He had 1,000 his sophomore year, 1,600 his junior year, 1,300 his senior year, and he had double-digit touchdowns in every season. That's sort of that's kind of the, the, the track, right? Yeah, and I was going to look up Tylen's career numbers so far, but, God, Rashawn Woods had almost 1,700 yards and 17 touchdowns in 2002. That's filthy. That's back in 2002 when they were running power eye with less miles. But that's his that's his junior year. So we're looking at sophomore yeah. year, 80, 80 catches for a thousand and twenty three yards and ten touchdowns. That's I mean I, I don't I can't do the math in my head, but that seems like sort of what Tylen is is tracking for so far through five games. Yeah, so I, I would say Rashawn Woods. That's the trajectory. And he's very similar too, right? I mean, Rashawn wasn't some. Didn't have blazing speed. He just caught everything, and that's kind of what Tywin does too. And obviously, Tywin's a, a ridiculous athlete as well. But that's, that's kind of who I compare him to. Tywin's got um, he's averaging six a game, six catches a game. So what is that? Uh, Seventy-eight catches for like twelve hundred yards, thirteen hundred yards. That's about Rashawn's sophomore year, which uh, it feels like we're like, yeah, he's kind of on Rashawn's career path, which is a cra like a crazy thing to say uh, because we're talking about one of the three or four best receivers in school history, but he kind of is on Rashawn's career path. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, he, that's who I'd compare him to. Yeah, that's wild. Um, Which is a mouthful. I mean, <laughs> Rashawn's, what, top three all time in school history? Uh, yeah, I mean, a- achievement, yes, because you. I don't think you can put – I think achievement-wise, it's it's uh, Rashawn, Blackman, and James Washington. I think talent-wise, you have to start throwing Dez and Hartley Dykes in there. Sure, yeah. but But those are your top five. How would you rank it? Mm. Have we done this? We might have done this. I think we've done it, but I, I mean, you you always tend to track more towards just pure talent. Yeah. I tend to track towards career. I would, um, because we're talking about what they did, right? Not who can jump the highest and run the fastest. Well, right? yeah, yeah. So, 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 set me up for. It. Give me the. Are you, are you talking like just one game? Like who do I want, or like what's the what's the category? Rank the top five receivers in school history. <laughs> <laughs> it's your list, so you can rank it based on however you want. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's go like this. I, I think that, I, and I've probably I've probably done this before and done it differently, which should tell you how interchangeable these guys are. But let's go let's go Blackman one. Let's go James Washington two. Let's go. Um, this is so hard. Let's go Rashawn three, Dez four, and Hartley Dykes five. Hmm. I like it. I might have the same list. I'm looking up James's stats right now. I'm leaning towards putting Rashawn over James. But man, Rashawn, <laughs> uh, James broke the. He has the school record in in receiving yards. Rashawn's got more touchdowns. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I think you got to go James. I mean, the guy, the guy won the Blitnikoff too. So, so Washington won or Washington? No, two? no, no. Blackman won two Blitnikoffs. I mean, the, the conversation, yeah, stops and ends right there. Yeah, it, it's. <laughs> it, I mean, he was. You know, there, there's like these three or four year ranges where you have one receiver that people talk about uh, for. You know, like they remember as that era. You had Larry Fitzgerald, kind of when, like, when we were in school or right before it. You had Calvin Johnson right after that, uh, and then Blackman is—he's one of those guys that certainly, like, one of the receivers that stood out over this last, these last ten or twenty years within these like three or four year ranges. I mean, it, we're talking about like just a handful of the best receivers in college football history, and he's among them. Yep, I'd probably go. Blackman, James, Rashawn. I mean, career-wise, you, you got to put Hartley over Dez. Yeah, like, I love I, I love Dez, but he he got his career shortened, but for hanging out with Deion Sanders, which is still a joke. I mean, he, his you can put that one year Dez had up against almost any season in school history, but. Again, I was I was probably too young to watch Hartley, but based on what I know, I'd probably put Hartley over Des. How many yards would Hartley put up in like the spread offense? <laughs> right, he had he had Gundy throwing it to him out of the, out of the wishbone power eye. <laughs> he probably they probably ran like a single wide receiver set, and he had like four guys on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my last question, Carson. Uh, how much? And this is a very game specific question, but how much did the injuries that Oklahoma State has seen to Darian Daniels and 
Calvin Bundage and, and guys like that affect uh, this team and, and how big of an issue will they be going forward? Well, it doesn't help. I mean, again, I thought the defense played really well too. We haven't really talked about them yet, but they're, I mean, Kyle, they lead the country in sacks still. It's crazy. Like that's, a, that's a huge stat and that's something we've clamored for, for years to put pressure on the quarterback to kind of alleviate, you know, some of your deficiencies on defense. But no, I mean, you, anytime you lose your, your best defensive lineman, that's, that's going to show up later in the season. That's going to hurt them. I think specifically with defending the run most, most likely, but um, it, how serious is bondage? Are, are we expecting him to be out for a majority of the year or is this, I haven't seen an update on him. Yet. I, I haven't either. I don't know if Gundy addressed it. I have not seen the press conference yet, but he probably talked about it on Monday. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. that would be bad though. Cause he, I mean, we saw it against tech. He's the engine on defense and you know, he's the one guy that like, we talk about <clears throat> the defensive line, not having time to get to the quarterback with him. You're like, ah, does it even matter? You know, like he, he's so quick and so fast that it seems like he can create havoc w- even with quarterbacks and teams that get the ball out quickly. And, and you just, you got to have somebody like that in, in, in the big 12 and against offenses, like you're going to see like OU and, and uh, teams like that. So yeah, they need him back pretty bad. If not <clears throat> for Iowa state and, and Kansas state, then definitely after the bye week following that. Yeah. And again, I think Kyle as as positive as I've been about Cornelius and the, and the defense, like, when I was watching the game, just the, the thought I had was, I think I think Gundy knows this is going to be a long year. It just, again, it's Kansas. I just I worry about when they play the upper echelon teams because look, they've already gotten boat raced by by Tech at home. Uh, they, they took care of Kansas. It was a good performance, but um, I'm a little concerned watching West Virginia and Oklahoma, um, and and even Texas is playing well this year so far. I think uh, it might we might be in for a long season. As far as LSU football is concerned, yeah, I don't disagree. I, I think the next, I think the next two games are, are sort of telling in terms of of sure. that uh, because you know th- those are, I don't know, they're they're kind of swing games. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but the way this team played against Tech, you're like, well, are they going to beat Iowa State and Kansas State? I don't know. Maybe I think. I mean, they're going to be favored at least against Iowa State, but. It's going to be, um, you know, you need to win those two games and, and going into the bye week. Then, then you can, then if you win those two games, you can start to, you can sort of look back at Tech and say, was that a, was that a one off? Was that just a, like a really bad game? I personally don't, I, I don't think it was. I think that's a little bit of who this team is. Um, but I could be convinced otherwise over the next two weeks. Yeah, and I know Iowa State's one and three, Kyle, coming into this game, but they've played OU, TCU, and Iowa. <laughs> like it's not like they've played yeah, yeah. your traditional non-conference schedule, really. So they're they might be they're they're definitely better than their record indicates, and their defense is top three in the league in almost every category. So it's going to be a real challenge, I think, for the OSU offense to kind of scheme for them because look they did a horrible job scheming against tech we'll see if they do a better job against iowa state yeah for sure okay uh carson we need to toast it's time for the coupe works toast of the week coupe works bring great tasting craft beer in oklahoma city try the flagship f5 ipa the bold dnr belgian strong ale after the brighter cup apparently or the refreshing horny toad blonde for your next watch party tailgate or get together with friends enjoy cold coupe works and please remember to drink responsibly 
Uh, Carson, do you have your toast ready? I've, I've got mine prepped and, and ready to, to roll. You go first. I'm going to toast uh, somebody I mentioned earlier. Alex Noren, Team Europe. Uh, Europe has a bunch of guys that make me wish that I was rooting for the European team. Um, I wasn't. I was wearing my USA hat on Saturday and Sunday, but I like Alex Noren. He's, you know, he's somebody who he's 36 years old. Uh, if you talk to the guys that played with him in college, they just speak really highly of him, his work ethic, just how, how, how much of a grinder he is. And they really just think the world of him. And, and it was cool. <clears throat> you know, he said after the Ryder cup, he said, uh, cause he won a point with Sergio, uh, in their first match. And he said, I almost, I almost cried after that match because of how important this is and how much it means. And it, it was so cool to see him make that final putt, uh, even, <clears throat> even though it was against the team that I was more sort of, uh, rooting for, but, uh, I'll toast a, I'll toast, I'll toast a Vader because Vader is, uh, it's kind of the, it's kind of the Europe, the Europe team, team colors, the blue. Uh, I'll toast a Vader to uh, Alex Noren for his performance going. I think he went two, one, and oh at the Ryder Cup this year. I knew you were deep down Team Euro. It's it's hard not to be. Those guys are like they're, yeah, they're fun. They don't snip at each other. They just you know they lose. They they go drink beer together. They win. They go drink beer together. And I don't know. They're just they're a blast. I loved the tweet that I retweeted that said, now that the Ryder Cup's over, all the Euros can fly back to America where they live. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Everybody's like, uh, this is a Brendan Porath take, I think. He said, the thing that's going to end the, the, this Ryder Cup rivalry is all these Euros kids being raised American. <laughs> American. <laughs> well, I'm ready, Kyle. Can we fast forward to four years from now when Victor Hovland and Matthew Wolf are playing for the deciding match hey, in the I'm, Ryder Cup? I'm here for it. You, you know, the one thing that, that I love about those guys, especially Wolf. You watch the American team. I think you tweeted about this. They're just sort of listless, you know, like they just, they just, the DJ just kind of walks around and Ricky is just kind of walking around and tiger looks like he's so disinterested. What was up with tiger? He acted like he wanted to be anywhere else. I don't know. And then you got Justin Thomas out there just screaming his head off and he goes four and one. Now he didn't go four and one because he was screaming his head off. He's the number four player in the world. But that's the thing about Wolf and Hovland they, that I love. And maybe that changes when they turn pro. But those guys get so jacked up about. I mean, you saw him at the at the uh, NCAA's. Wolf was out of his mind. He would thrive in a Ryder Cup setting. It would be awesome. And you know, maybe he gets it someday. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I can't wait to watch those two guys. Uh, my toast is going to be. Uh, also an elevator wheat because this guy's draft stock has just got to be skyrocketing. I'm going to toast Jordan Brailford. Another huge performance. He now, Kyle, in five games has eight sacks. It's incredible. That is stunning. And he's he's really putting together a Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year type season. That's that's his trajectory as we stand today. So he, he deserves a uh, elevator wheat for his draft stock going through the roof. And he's really turned into... You know, uh, a player at OSU's defense can really can really lean on and, and get stops and get sacks and pressure the quarterback. And I love how OSU, Kyle, moves them around a bunch, not just on third down. They move them around early in downs too, which is – because that, that, that makes it even less predictable. You know, if it's third down, passing situation, offenses are going to expect for Brailford to come from a different position. But if he's doing it, like almost they almost have to account for him every down the way he's being used. So that 
that's a, a toast for Jim Knowles as well. Yeah. Um, I like it. Brailford's been awesome. He, he was big 12 defensive player of the week this week, which was, uh, which was good for him. Um, okay. We need to talk unis, Carson. I didn't, again, it didn't seem much of the game, but I did see the unis. Let's get to this week's uniform review brought to you by Chris's university spirit, but your one-stop cowboy shop on campus corner and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Uh, your thoughts on the stormtrooper uh, chrome helmet, all white helmet look. Again, I'm not the most, I'm not the biggest connoisseur of, of all white, but there's there's simply no denying it's just a clean, clean look, and it's it's clear. Obviously, the players love it. I think they vote it their favorite combination, maybe besides all black. I look good. And again, I, I love the helmet. I, I can do without the bandana stripe. I thought that kind of hindered the helmet as opposed to like maybe a, a black and chrome stripe. But look, I'm not going to pick nits. This is, the, the OSU football helmets have now become everything I've ever hoped for, Kyle. What did you and I talk about years ago, back in 2011, how we wish they would tweak a specific helmet based on the specific uniform combination? And they have so many different helmets now. We we can't, almost can't even have like a uniform tracker anymore. It's like every, every <laughs> I'm serious. Like every game, there's a new helmet debuted, which is just a joy to watch. It's it's awesome. You never know what's coming. So I, again, I loved it. I thought it was a great idea, and it was executed pretty well. And I I can't say enough about all the helmets they've introduced. And I I love the unpredictability of it and the adaptability of it too. Like we saw in the bowl game last year, where they put the the black face mask on the Patriot Pete helmet to match the black uniform. So two thumbs up, you know, you and I have, have complained about the helmets in the past when they had little Bo Pete and a, a Chris's university spirit <laughs> sticker. They've come a long way and they've become really, I think the best helmets in the country who, who is tweaking their helmets on a week to week basis. Like OSU, I would, I would challenge any program to do that. Shout out to Chris's by the way. Uh, yeah, the helmet was, the helmet's great, man. It was awesome. I loved it. Uh, I'm obviously a sucker for the all whites. I think it always looks good. Uh, Chuba going with the tights was a was a strong look as well. Um, but yeah, the, you, you're right. You're spot on about the helmets. That that can that can. I mean, that's the sort of the um, <clears throat> the thing that the variable, the thing that changes from week to week, and it can it can make or break a, a uni combo and. I thought it was great on on Saturday. It was kind of a it was kind of a good uni matchup with Kansas in the all blues and Oklahoma State in the all whites. I was a fan. Yeah, good look. I mean, Kansas is still Kansas. Well, yeah. I mean, it, did you see their face masks? Yeah, How, no, like the bottom was <laughs> faded. Yeah, I I I say that. Uh, like I'm looking at a still photo, and it was a it was a good uni matchup. I didn't have to watch them run around all game, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was. Uh, I liked Oklahoma State. So like that. That helmet. It, it's really solid. Like they do a good job of making it fairly subtle. Other maybe the bandana might not be subtle, but everything else they just make these subtle tweaks, and you're like, wow, that looks that looks really good. And I feel like they've they've gotten pretty good at that. Did you see my stat in our uniform prediction <clears throat> that Oklahoma State has never worn white, white, orange since switching to the new, the new unis in 2011? That's crazy. That used to be like their go-to combo on the road yeah that, that are all white that's that's nuts that's wild i i hadn't I hadn't realized until i sat down and thought about it so and that's that, pretty that, pretty that, crazy that was my prediction too and the whiff <laughs> well what's the standings now i was behind uh i don't know i mean we all got a point for the jersey which is 
you know, whatever. But I don't know. I think you're still going to be behind. I think I think you and I might get boat raced by Southall this year. He's been on his A game. Yeah, he's got he, he's got inside info, man. Yeah, I, he might. He's, a, he's got insider trading going on. <laughs> okay, Carson, let's hear one more time from our sponsor. Chris's University Spirit. Maybe we can inside trade some uh, some Chris's stock, uh, and then we will come back and <laughs> wrap things up. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986, and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise, and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head to toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, final thoughts on anything Oklahoma State-related. Basketball practice starts today we'll have uh, marshall scott there uh to cover that i'm sure there'll be questions about michael weathers and uh mike boynton will be available so that'll be fun but uh any other thoughts from the weekend the oklahoma state performances at the Ryder cup uh, or basketball getting started um i thought gundy was a little ridiculous after the kansas game oh again, yeah I, yeah we need to talk about this sorry again i'm i'm so over the i'm beyond over the Jalen mccleskey ultimatum that that Gundy gave look but again that was at their media's first chance to ask Gundy why he did it and I thought Gundy couldn't have looked more silly the you could have asked I'm not that powerful okay Mike come on come on I just thought he was acting a little ridiculous but again I don't even know if it came up in today's press conference it probably didn't and probably shouldn't it's it's old news for me but I just (laughs) I thought Gundy was pretty silly after the game yeah I think I think the way he handled it on Saturday sort of like, and I wrote this earlier in the week. I, I did. I never thought anything that he did was malicious. I don't think he sat in his office or talked to whoever and was like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to stick it to these clown show media people. Like this will, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get them for this. I just think he made a decision that he wasn't either like, doesn't under, like doesn't understand the ramifications of, or didn't like think all the way through. And it was, it was a really bad decision, which can happen at times. And, and I think the way he talked about it on Saturday sort of said that, I guess, I, I don't know. Maybe he was just trying to, I don't, I don't know. I don't think he was like trying to cover something up. It just seemed like he like just didn't think it all the way through. And then on Saturday he was like, Oh well, yeah, it wasn't that big a deal. Was it? And it was like, eh, it's kind of a big deal. Like this is something that you, that you just, can't and and shouldn't do and uh for anybody that i don't know i i got sort of annoyed and frustrated all week like look college football not the biggest deal in the world but it is a sort of microcosm of of the bigger picture of you know everybody is talking about freedom of press and and all these different things like i don't think asking about jalen mccleskey is like will make or break the future of the united states but I think that people just don't understand the relationship between uh, people in the press and the media and these teams and these coaches and these players. And, and that, that sort of frustrated me a little bit, uh, just the way people were kind of talking about it. 
Yeah, again, he <laughs> he wanted to talk about anything but that, but it was like, well, this is our, the first chance people have to talk to you about it, so yeah. you're going to answer questions about it. So yeah, anyway, sure. I, but, again, I, I'm over it. I'm so tired of people in my mentions <laughs> talking about it. I'm ready to move on. Hey, I don't at, least, really care. At, at least you don't have to deal with an entire continent after you picked the U.S. to win 17 to 11 last week. Oh, did you get like the Euros coming after you? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they, did you get ratioed? Oh, I just continue to be ratioed. Like every time I pull it up, it's like, when are you going to apologize for your, t- your Francesco Molinari take? I'm like, I'm pro- I'm not. Like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you're not allowed to have takes anymore because if they're wrong, you're just bombarded with tweets. So. You, you know what else bugs people don't, me? People don't like takes. You know what bugs me? The the uh, This aged well thing. I know. Like, like, like he's not like you'll say something that's factual. Like, um, Bubba Watson has not been good at Ryder Cups, and then it win a match, and people are like, "Oh, this aged well." And it's like, it's <laughs> it's literally like a fact. Like, like, or, or you'll say like, no, that was a bad example. You say Bubba Watson's like one, four, and two at Ryder Cups. And then it win a match, and people are like, "Oh, that aged well." And and uh, and you're like, "Well, that doesn't change like the f- the data, like the f- the facts of this." It just, I don't know. I was fresh. I get frustrated about that stuff. Don't don't they know you're a card carrying member of the Rory fan club? Like, why they shouldn't be coming after you? Yeah, they they're coming after the coming after the ship nooks of the world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you see that? See what? <laughs> Rory called him out in the press conference. Well, I knew he picked USA and said like the, Europe's future was like over. And yeah. So did Rory asked where he was. Rory ro- rolled up to the press conference and said, "Where's Alan Shipnuck at?" Oh my god. <laughs> See, I will say Rory is the best at like dealing with the media. He's so good. Like it's... that story that Solly always tells about how he wanted Kepka and DJ to play together, and and Rory sits down next to him on a bench while he's wiping the floor with DJ and Kepka. And go, well, you got your wish. Yeah, it's so good. It's, That's such a great story. Yeah, it's great. Okay, um, Carson, we'll be back later in the week to preview Iowa State and to uh, yeah, just chat about what's been going on in uh, Oklahoma State world. So All right, we'll talk. Sounds to you good. Okay.